Welcome to C3Well Conard. We hope you enjoy our latest Sunday message by Pastor Nick Hind. You know, one of the things I love most about our church and about our, our community is the incredible diversity. I love the way uh, where all our stories are, are woven together as a part of God's plan. And it's one of the things that, that makes doing life together so great. We learn through and from the richness of what God is doing in not just our lives, but in the lives of others as well. I love that out of that passage in Ephesians chapter 2, which is called to us as a church, that we're told we become a part of a family. We're built into God's building. And it, it also says that, that we come in from outsiders to becoming citizens. And this is a really powerful thought for us and kind of fitting to talk about uh, on a weekend like this. The idea of belonging, the idea of being a citizen of, of a country, being a part of a particular culture. And, and there's a sense of, of unity in that word. It doesn't mean uh, the uniformity, it doesn't mean that everything is the same, but there's a greater thing drawing us together. And really that's what uh, God is, is telling us that He's doing here. He's, this passage is written to the Jews and, and the Gentiles, and it's saying God is putting these two groups, bringing them together. Now, you can't just shove two different things together, different groups of people, and expect them to suddenly figure it out and become the same. Which one's going to change? How does that work out? The way that that works out well is if both groups come under something else that is greater. That's in some ways what it means to be a citizen of a, of a nation, to belong in that way, is that we, we don't have to leave behind our differences. We can celebrate those, but there's something up a level, something higher that brings us together. There's this commonality there. And that's what our citizenship represents, that, that, that we are able to choose to be a part of something uh, greater. We're told ultimately that in Christ we are united. God has made one people uh, out of those who were at odds, those who were separated. We've not only been reconciled to God, but to each other as well. You know, citizenship at its core has ideas around culture, around language, around habits and behaviors that we are used to. And, and so there's an expectation that citizenship of a, a particular nation, for example, will, will have defining characteristics that will be visible uh, in, in people. And, and that is often what we call culture. And Jesus said that there was a kingdom culture, that, that there is a culture amongst his followers. And, and as he was sharing that in the Sermon on the Mounts recorded in Matthew 5, and then we go to Matthew chapter 6, which is uh, where we're really taking our lead from in these couple of uh, messages about putting God first, we're told that kingdom culture, those who, who are citizens of heaven, they seek first the kingdom of God. They put first, they make, make it their primary concern. That's the starting point for their lives. It's not just something that, that is added to our lives. It's not just something even that we are a part of. It is our starting point. You know, and last week, we discussed the idea, and we, I guess we finished with this question uh, about what is first in our lives and, and really the idea that there is competition for first in our lives. And I'll pick up from that thought and, and say we've got to actively decide what is first in our lives or who is first in our life. Otherwise, others will dictate, culture will dictate or will be blown and tossed from side to side depending on what's trending uh, you know, or, or, or what is popular at any particular time. 
And so Romans 12 uh, reminds us that we, we shouldn't just follow whatever is going on around us, but choose to live from a different place. And it says in verse 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12 from the New Living Translation, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies, give your whole self to God because of all He has done for you. Let yourself be a living sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly your way to worship Him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Don't dive into the culture. Don't be citizens of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. There's some big thoughts in this passage. There's that thought of not just being adaptive to whatever is around us in our culture, but actually living from a different place. The way to do that is to get ourselves wholly over to God, to put Him first in every possible way. Putting God first means we start from His truth. We don't try to apply God to our preferences or our circumstances or sort of blend them together. We actually start from the truth of God about, about, cult, about what culture is talking about, about what is trending, about current events, about, about morality, about decisions that we are making, about our relate, all sorts of things. We're actually saying, I'll start from God's truth and then outwork from there, not try and bring in all these other thinking and, and mash it all together and try and keep God in the mix somewhere. Putting God first means aligning our priorities with, with His. Are, are we, is it visible in our lives that we're living for Jesus and for His glory? Or would somebody only know that uh, if we said it to them? Oh, God is first in my life. Would there, is there any evidence in our world? And it means really, like we talked last week about the idea of delight, a, a, a desire, a delight in God, a desire, a heartfelt desire to please Him, not a duty not just an obligation, but a desire to please God. Evidence that He is at work in our lives and our lives belong to Him. You know, if you go to a foreign culture, there is evidence of that culture. It's not just that the map says Italy, right? It's just the, the food says Italy, the language says it, the buildings, the art, all sorts of things actually speak of it. There's evidence. And, you know, in First Thessalonians chapter 2 and, and verse 12, Paul writes to a group of people following Jesus, an early church, and says, you know what, what we did when we were with you? We pleaded, encouraged, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For He called you to share in His kingdom and His glory. God's call in our lives has evidence. He has called us to share in His kingdom and glory. Therefore, our lives have to show that He is first and foremost. That should show up in, in our finances. It should show up in our relationships. It should show up in the way we use our time. It should show up in our language. It should be part of our culture and our context. It should speak loudly. We probably shouldn't have to say to people, I'm a follower of Jesus. Hopefully it would be evidenced in our lives. And you know, I read a simple summary uh, this week of of a way to understand putting God first. And some people, this really helps, and not, not everybody, but maybe you, maybe you kind of like to write this down and, and just kind of ponder it and think about it and, and, and use it as a, almost like a way to look over and measure a bit of your world if we're asking this question, what or who is first? Uh, and, and it said putting God first uh, means, and here's like an acrostic for you, you know, we use the first letter, so F, 
right? First, F-I-R-S-T, F for finances. Uh, putting God first in that word, I for our interests. So our finances, our interests, our relationships. He's got first in our schedule. And here's a cool thought. He's got first in our troubles. Okay, so finances. Is, is God an afterthought or are we living a life arranged around God's purposes where we are dedicating the first portion, according to Scripture, over to God? Not occasionally feeling guilted into a, a life of generosity. Not not just sort of thinking of our of ourselves before everybody and everything else, but actually saying, Lord, I'm going to acknowledge everything I have is from you and it is for you. That's what tithing does for us. It allows us to just keep this bedrock, this orientation in our lives, right, that says God is a part of, in fact, He is the source of my supply. He's the source of my resources. Everything I have is from Him. I want to use it for His glory. How, how are we using the talents, abilities, passions, desires, interests that God has given us to, to glorify Him? Are we just pursuing things that are maybe ultimately destructive or are just about our pleasure? Or is there a sense, and I'm not saying we, we can't be interested in things and derive pleasure from things, but that God has wired you in a certain way to be passionate, to be talented, to be good at things. Pursue those things and they will give you joy and God glory. There's a way to put God first even in those parts of our worlds, putting God first in our relationships. Are we, are we actually living out love towards others because of our love for God? Now, now, that kind of love, that God sort of love, actually honors and values others first. That sort of love isn't used to permit all sorts of uh, inappropriate sexual activity and behavior and pleasure-seeking in relationships. That, that God kind of love in our relationship seeks to elevate and honor others and do what is right by them. Are we seeking God and putting God first in our relationship? Are we, are we walking away from, from relationships and friendships that just pull us down? Now, that doesn't mean we don't pray for people and don't try to help them come to, to faith in Christ. But, but if, we're, if we're hanging around, like the, the Proverbs is good, bad company corrupts good character, right? So uh, we, we can actually get ourselves out of alignment by poor choice of relationships. Our schedule, what does it mean and what does it look like in your world if, if God is first? What if first actually means first? What if putting God first might mean for you actually dedicating maybe the first portion of your day to God? Now, let's not be religious about this. There's nothing in the Bible that says you've got to start every morning in a certain way. And, but, but what a great way to orient your life. Maybe, maybe it's last. Maybe you're making the, first, the last thing you do every day. Uh, you know, focused on the things of God. Hopefully there's a whole bunch of things throughout your day, this unceasing attitude of prayer, a hunger for God's word. But what if, what if God first actually meant God first in my schedule? Maybe that God's not the smallest part, but maybe that, maybe that I'm actually spending more time with God or, or serving Him or others than I am just watching TV or surfing the net. Or Like think about your priorities and what that looks like in your schedule and our troubles. Wow, that's a, that's a cool thought. I, I, it stood out to me when I, when I read this in a, in a blog post this week. And the idea of God, for, do, do troubles, do challenges, do trials in our lives cause us to run from God or to run to God? Do we look at difficulties and, and, and do they draw us to prayer? Do, do we go to worry or do we go to prayer when things are challenging? Do we, do we seek God and His strength, His encouragement? Do we anchor ourselves in His truth when, when things are, are challenging? Uh, do, we, do we wait on God to come through? I mean, I love reading the Psalms. I was reading Psalm 62 
uh, over and over this past week. And in the Passion Translation, it says, God, your wraparound presence is all that I need. In, in any time of challenge and calamity, it says, I will wait for you, Lord. I'll wait and see what you're going to do. I'll wait for you to rescue me. What do we do? How do we respond in moments of difficulty? You know, in fact, here's a further thought that God is first, scriptures tell us. We were just sort of reading there that God has called us to share in his kingdom and his glory. God's kingdom and his glory are, are, are first. They are already established. So maybe we need to not just talk about putting God first, because he already is. Maybe we should be talking about recognizing that he is first, acknowledging God's rightful place. Here's the, here's the newsflash. You and I don't make God first. We don't create God as first. We don't establish him as first. God already is. He's preeminent. He's supreme over all creation. What matters in our, is in our lives that we understand and acknowledge that, that, that we live accordingly. And maybe that really helps you. Maybe, maybe it helps you to, to not just think that you're locked in some epic battle for, uh, you know, to make God first in your life, but that He already is. And that actually the effort is to acknowledge this and to live for His glory. Maybe the effort is in, instead to just not just trying to force God to be first in every part of our, our lives, but to, to just declare Him as first. Say, say, Jesus, you are first. Holy Spirit, help me to live that way. I honor you and acknowledge you as Lord of all creation. There's a key word in there I want to unpack for a moment. That's the word Lord. That word Lord sums up all of this. It sums up the idea of, of Jesus being first in control, above all, uh, powerful and glorious and majestic. He is Lord. And, and maybe we get really comfortable with Jesus as friend, as Savior, as Redeemer. But I think one of the things that, that we can fall short of understanding often is the idea of Jesus as Lord. I feel like it's, it's easy for us to you know, make a, a response to God uh, because of what He has done for us, but, for us but, but actually not allow that to then play out in our lives to the full degree because Jesus doesn't just come to, to redeem and to save, but to be established as Lord in our lives. I want to take you to a place in Scripture and unpack this thought uh, a little bit further. And in, in Luke chapter 5, verses, uh, I'll focus in on verses 5 to 8, but we'll start at the beginning of the chapter. Um, then This unfolds in somebody's life, in one of the disciples. I don't want to take you on that journey. It says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats on the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them to wash their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked its owner, Simon, or Peter, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let your nets to catch some fish. So starting, we're coming up to verse 5 uh, here. So let's, let's hone in and pay real attention. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time... Their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught. 
as are the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. What a story. So much going on. But please see the journey that Peter went on in these few short verses. He's a fisherman cleaning his nets on the shore while this rabbi, this traveling teacher called Jesus, was teaching the crowds. Now, Jesus' authority and, and he, the way he captivated people was certainly uh, greater than most. But, but a traveling teacher, a, a rabbi, wasn't an unusual thing. So I wonder if Peter was sitting on the side of the lake just going about his business, just kind of listening in a, a little bit. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is stepping into his boat right, and, and gives him his command. And I reckon we can read it where he, from verse 5. He says, Master, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so... It's a bit grudgingly, perhaps. Okay, if you say. Now, our master is, in that sense, is a way of being respectful to Jesus as a rabbi and as a teacher. Okay, so he's saying, right, uh, you know, I, I see you're a teacher. You're an important person. Um, you know, you're someone that we should listen to. So, okay, okay, sure, I'll do what you say. But, you know, I've already just told you we fished all night. There was nothing going on. A couple of verses later, there's a miraculous haul of fish. Peter's language changes. And it's a different word, not just in the English translations, in, in the root translations here. It says, when he realized what he had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. Wow, what a moment. He's gone from a grudging acknowledgement of a, of a traveling teacher to a, a total revelation about his sinfulness, about his separation from God, and his need for Christ and his lordship in his life. And he declares him as that. He says, oh, Lord. Goes from master or boss or important person or teacher to, oh, Lord. Peter had a revelation that totally transformed his life. He went from seeing Jesus as a master or a teacher to, to really understanding him as Lord from a do, all right, I'll do what you say kind of attitude to, understanding and recognizing Jesus' divine authority and position. From here, Peter becomes a true follower of Jesus. We're told that he and his, his, his business partners, they left everything and they followed Jesus to become fishers of men. You might have heard it said like that. You know, with that acknowledgement of Peter, instantly things changed. Instantly as he acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord, everything changed. He understood his deep need for a savior. It's this idea of him as Lord highlighted his sinfulness. He came face to face with a holy God and realized that it wasn't just about patching up his life, but about a radical transformation, a need for repentance. That has to happen in our lives. You can't just accept Jesus as a nice person or a friend or a, a good teacher. Part of living a life of faith in Jesus is saying, Lord, I am sinful. I have lived in a way that is all about me, not about you. I want to repent and turn away from that. I need to acknowledge you as Lord, that your ways are higher than my ways. And that, that doesn't put me down. In fact, that lifts me up because with that acknowledgement comes the power of God in our lives, the transforming grace and love of Jesus Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live for Him. With, in Peter's life and in our lives too, with that acknowledgement came purpose, came authority, came provision, and came power. 
in that moment, Peter was transformed from, from a, a, you know, a humble fisherman to someone who would fish for men, who would see other lives transformed, who had the authority and the power and the anointing of Jesus when he preached. A, a guy who saw radical transformation and miracles, someone who went out in the authority of the Great Commission uh, that says to go and make disciples of all nations. And Jesus' promise that comes with that for those who declare him as Lord is that he will be with us always, the promise of the presence of Jesus in our lives. It gets me thinking, I wonder so often how much of the difficulty we face, how many of the the, the anguishes of our lives and the troubles that we go through and even the moments where we question God, how much of that is rooted in, in maybe just some areas of our lives where we haven't acknowledged Jesus as Lord? I find so often it's easy in some areas of our life, but tough in others. What are you holding back from Jesus? Where are you keeping God at arm's length? If Jesus is Lord, it means that the, our inner world and our outer world line up. It means that our thought life isn't just a, a play field for, for us to indulge all sorts of things because Jesus said, hey, what you're thinking is as important as what you're actually doing. And eventually we know it will play out in our life. Jesus is Lord of my thought life. Jesus is Lord in my workplace, in my marriage, as a parent, as a son or a daughter, as a friend, in my finances, in my relationships, in, in everything. It means that Jesus is preeminent. He is number one. Jesus is Lord, my desire is to please Him. He's Lord of all of my life, not just a, a part of it. If Jesus is Lord, I, I, am, I am giving everything over to Him. I've got a quote to, to read to you I found this weekend. It said, when the Lordship of Jesus is a settled issue in the Christian's life, all other issues are settled. When Jesus is Lord of a person's life, we will fulfill our duties, obligations, and responsibilities with joy. That's what we talked about last week. Not actually about living out of duty, but living for joy because we desire the things of God. If Jesus is Lord of our lives, all the rest is settled. Man, I wonder how many, like I've just said, how many of the troubles and things we're facing are actually a result of, of removing or, or reserving parts of it, keeping parts of our world away from God's Lordship. What would it look like to dedicate our finances to Jesus? What would it look like to honor God in our relationships, to, to just declare Jesus as Lord of our lives and allow the Holy Spirit to have His way in our lives? That's, that's really where I want to uh, get us to as we, as we close in prayer in a moment. First, I want to read it to you Philippians chapter 2 because it sums this up so well in verses 9 to 11. It says, Therefore God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor, gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what's going to happen. Jesus is in the place of complete authority and ultimate lordship of the universe. It's a done deal. He gave his life. For you and I, he went through the humiliation of that death on the cross, his sacrificial atoning death for us to make us right with God. God honored and exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every other name. 
that if we would choose to acknowledge Him as Lord, if we would put our trust and our faith in Him, we can live this victorious, overcoming, blessed life here and now and for all eternity because we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to take that step here today and, and put Jesus first. Maybe for the very first time to acknowledge Him as Lord. Say, I'm not holding back. I'm not going to acknowledge God from a distance, but I want Him to be number one, Lord of my life. I want to submit everything to Him. Maybe you need to acknowledge that there have been areas you've been holding back in, places you've kept God out of lordship in your life, and you need to repent and give that over to Him. Maybe you're seeing the difficulties and challenges in life are stemming from some of these unresolved, unsurrendered things in your life. I want to pray for all of us that we would allow and participate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as He transforms us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. As we say, Lord, be Jesus, be Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, help me live in that way. Believe in as we do that, we're going to walk in the power and the authority and the purpose and the provision of God. That you're not going to go through this year wandering and, and wandering without, without purpose, aimless or powerless. But you're going to see the power of God at work in your life. You're going to see fruit in your life. You're going to see internal transformation that leads to outward transformation that, that impacts other lives and gives glory to Jesus. Wouldn't that be a way to live? Let's pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, you are number one. I thank you that right now there are, there are people acknowledging that in their lives, that you've given them glory, Lord. People who want to put their trust in, in you, maybe praying right now and saying, Jesus, come into my life. Would you be my Lord and my Savior? I give it all to you. I receive your forgiveness. I thank you that I am right with you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, you're transforming lives. Lord, as people are acknowledging you as Lord in areas they've kept you out of or, or held back from, I thank you that your transforming power moves right now. Lord, I thank you that, that you're going to continue to work in us. Holy Spirit, have your way. Make us more and more like Jesus. Work in our lives as we acknowledge you first and foremost. Amen. Now, I hope this makes such a big difference in your life this year. Let's put Jesus first and let's do that together. This is the greatest way to live, the most incredible call. And I cannot wait to walk this out with you. Thanks for listening to our Sunday message. If you would like to find out more about our church, visit www.c3belconnen.org.au.